When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Barrett from Cleveland.com. He is Doug Lee Maurice. This is the Monday Madness Edition. One of the first truly madness editions, I think, probably that we've had in the Ohio State football season so far, just because of the result that we're coming off of a 42 35 victory over Indiana. Uh, it's been crazy to kind of watch, you know, wake up this morning and see like what our traffic was, or even just what we saw from the, uh, the response that we got to our uh, survey that we sent out last night. All of you who are listening to you to this, your, your interest really peaks if Ohio state almost loses a game or is like even in position to have a game tied in the fourth quarter. It's crazy. Like how much different it is as far as like how, how much we connect with, with our, our listeners and our readers from a game like that, as opposed to, Oh, they beat, uh, Illinois 63 to 12 or whatever. I think sometimes when Ohio state loses, there's not as much interaction. Cause like people are sad or they're mad, but I think a game like that is almost like peak what you're looking for. And I hope this is the case. I hope dear listeners and dear tech subscribers, I am not speaking out of turn, but I do think to some degree, what fans are tuning in for and reading for after a game like Saturday is guidance because they saw it but they're trying to process it. And it's not necessarily that we're all that much smarter than, than a really dedicated Ohio state fan, even though we get paid for this stuff, but everybody kind of wants to talk it out. We talk about all the time that we sort of talk things out on the pod sometimes, and it helps us realize what we actually think. And then we can go and write. But I think you do. It's there's a lot more to process because sometimes even like I hate processing games like the Rutgers games, they're up 35 to three, they kind of let off the gas a little bit. They put in the second teamers. Some weird stuff happens. Rutgers runs trick plays. What does it mean? I don't freaking know. But like that Indiana game, that was 60 minutes of real football that I think you could draw a lot of stuff from. And some of it matters 10% and some of it matters 90%. But man, there's some really fun football analysis about, and we must say, and will say, about a really good football team. Ohio State's really good. But it's really fun to analyze that, and I think that's what people are looking for in the moment. Like, hey, can we just sort of talk this out together? Yeah, I was texting with a um, Indiana writer last night, and uh, just about how that, you know, how the game went and everything. And and he's he made the point 
as it far was Zach. as Zach. It was Zach. Just say it's Zach. It Zach Osterman. It's, I mean, you worked with Zach. He's like the pod, Zach Osterman. He's like the only Indiana writer there is. I don't even know who else is an Indiana writer. <laughs> uh, there are other ones, but none that uh, I, none that I have this connection with. Um, uh, and uh, he he made the the, the point. Um, I don't know if I should quote him. It being in just a, a personal conversation, but it wasn't anything controversial. He just said that Indiana is a really good team, but not a great team, and that's why they have they can't win that game. I think you have to kind of be a great team to be able to go on the road and beat a team like Ohio State, and they're not there yet because Ohio State is a great team. I mean, it, all the things that went wrong for Ohio State in that game, and still putting up 600 yards of offense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that it, it, I think it is important to as, after after a night like that, and then even after. I hope everybody listened to our post game pod. I thought it was really good, and that was definitely happening during that pod where somebody would make an assertion, and then maybe your first inclination is to be like, I don't know if I agree with that. And here's why. And then everybody talks it out. And then by the end of the podcast, you, you might've changed 180 degrees, how you're thinking about something either from that game or what it means for the team. So uh, I would definitely, if, if everybody out there listening, if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the post game pod, I thought it was really good. And I don't know how much we will rehash other stuff from that game. Cause we went so deep and we're going to have more to do. I think with that game, once we have, studied it even more because uh you know doug's had brown stuff to do today i've had other stuff to do today so i don't know that we've really gone super in depth with it yet i would definitely listen to the wednesday pod i think we'll have more coming um about that and we'll also talk to ohio state players and coaches on tuesday at least i think that is the plan that we're working with as of sunday night there were some topics that were bouncing around and one of them that we didn't really talk about in the in the post game was we definitely discussed justin fields's game and how indiana affected Justin Fields and and uh, some things that we had never really seen from him before. We didn't talk in just the bigger picture about what it means for Justin Fields as far as his personal goals this season, one of which is to win the Heisman Trophy. I think he was obviously at the front of that list, if not on at, at the very front of it, for a lot of people going into that game because he'd been so precise and so explosive and uh, so averse to any kind of mistake. And then he made multiple mistakes in a, a very high-profile game. So I am curious – to see maybe how this week unfolds exactly where the uh, conventional wisdom turns on him as far as his Heisman trophy candidacy. We're going to get into this. I think we said we'll, we'll probably get into it more on the big Wednesday pod this week. Cause I do think the Heisman race is interesting, but the one thing that that is important about the Heisman race and, and I wrote about it, this idea of it a lot with chase young last year, after he came back from his suspension and had a big game is I generally think that people are idiots. And so a lot of times I spend my life pushing back against perception. The Heisman is all perception. There's not a Heisman game. There's not a Heisman championship game. They don't. Now that somebody makes me think they should do this. What if you got like Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Kyle Trask, Matt Jones, and Justin Fields and like put them on a, on like a high school soccer field and had them throw footballs through like old tires. Would that be a good way to decide the Heisman or is it better to just have dumb writers vote i think it's as good a way to decide the heisman as we currently do it so there's a great big swath i mean honestly for real pull ping pong balls out of a big bin and it might be as well as as good as what we do right now so we want to get into this more i think maybe for wednesday you'll give your top five heisman i'll give my top five steven will give his top five here's what's hard when justin fields i'm gonna make one point about it then i want to save the rest when Justin Fields was perfect, perfect doesn't require a number of games, in my opinion. It's like, oh, what's Justin Fields' Heisman 
candidacy. What's his resume? His resume is whenever he's on a football field, he's perfect. It's almost like infinity. It's like, he's just, he's perfect. So I'm not going to get caught up in yards and touchdowns. And like, he's just perfect. But now that he had a game where he was less than perfect, I think your eyes go a little bit to Kyle Trask in seven games has 31 touchdowns and three interceptions. Justin Fields in four games has 13 touchdowns and three interceptions. That ratio's not super off. Kyle Trask has 31 touchdown passes, right? Like now I feel like it's opened the door a little bit on a numbers game. And because he's not going to play as many games, he's going to have trouble in the numbers game. Zach Wilson at BYU has played nine games. He's played, he's thrown 26 touchdowns against two interceptions because now the perfection is removed and now your eyeballs go towards stats. And so I just think the race is on. I think the race is on. Yeah. I, I, like you said, I don't, we, we're not going to go that in depth on it mostly because I think in order to have a truly intelligent discussion about this or as intelligent as we're capable of having on Buckeye talk that we would have to do. Um, you've done some, obviously some study into the others, or at least you have the numbers in front of you right this second, but we need to like look more in depth at what the other quarterbacks have done um, in order to have a, 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 a really good perspective on where Justin might set after a game like that. Yeah, and I think that's I think that is worth getting into because it's important. People care about it. Justin cares about it. Ohio State cares about it. It's not the it's not the number one most important thing going on with Ohio State, but it's number two. Number one is try to win the national championship, which takes up like 90% of the air in the room. But the next most important thing for Ohio State is can Justin Fields win the Heisman? Let's get right into our categories. And if we have more to, that we want to branch off on, because we're going to have some opportunities later in this pod to talk about Ohio State topics again, specifically built into the categories. And we'll do that then. But let's get some of the other stuff out of the way first off. Uh, number one, always on the list, is ballot boxing. This is where Doug – and I, 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 I put this on the list when we created this podcast because I welcomed the opportunity for Doug to come on each week and just savage me for the, the stupidity – of my AP ballot, which, because he, as someone who was an idiot who filled out an AP ballot is, is, and, and has disdain for everyone else who's filling out an AP ballot. I wanted to give him that outlet and it's been kind of disappointing to every week, get on here and like brace for it. And Doug be like, no, you did a really good job. That was really good. <laughs> I, I really agree with that poll. So, um, so fire away. If you got something this week, I think it was really smart by you to create categories that would open the opportunity for idiocy and disdain because people love both those things. And I am filled with both of those things. So it's hard. It's really hard to vote this year. And I think I mentioned this in the post game pod. I don't have a, I don't have a, I, here we are. I'm doing it again. I don't have a problem with it. You, in the end, I said, is Indiana still a top 10 team based on, they came to Columbus and pushed Ohio State to the wire. You have Indiana 11th. and Which is up one spot from where I had them last week, actually. Oh, that is up one spot. Okay. And so, you know, BYU undefeated is 7th. Cincinnati undefeated is 8th. You have Texas A&M 5-1 with a loss to Bama. Uh, they're 5th. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure. Oregon at 3-0 and in the Pac-12. Pac I still think there's a strong case. And again, I don't know where the rest, I don't even know where they are in the real AP poll. I'm not sure exactly who I would pull down. And the, I think we've, we've wound up on this discussion point a lot, which is my least favorite discussion point about polls, 
but I think is more important than ever in pan- in a pandemic year, which is the neutral field imaginary game. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that BYU or Cincinnati would have come into Ohio Stadium and done what Indiana did on Saturday. I, I just I, I don't know. Like Zach Wilson's really good. Yeah, but Michael Penix is really good. And Desmond Ritter's really good. But Michael Penix is really good. And so I feel like Indiana actually like burnished the resume with that loss. And it's very hard for voters. I respect the fact that they lost and moved up on your personal ballot, but I'm sure they moved down in the overall poll. So I'm not complaining that you don't have Indiana ahead of Cincinnati or BYU or Oregon, but I certainly think you could. I almost did, actually. There was a version of this that I was filling out as I was kind of studying things and going over things where I had pulled them all the way up to, I think, seventh. And then I started thinking, well, then what does that mean for Northwestern, who is now 5-0, and who just shut down Wisconsin? And I had, I, I had overrated Wisconsin. I had them all the way up at fifth um, off of just two games, which is probably too high. But uh, they had also been playing well. Um, and Northwestern shuts them down. It was a home game, but still a, a pretty convincing win. So I decided I wanted Northwestern ahead of Indiana but couldn't talk myself into pulling Northwestern all the way up as high as like seventh. So I kind of, I mostly kept my top eight or nine intact, pulled Northwestern all the way up to 10th, put Indiana right after them. But in a lot of ways, as someone who's filled out one of these ballots before, you know that it kind of happens in chunks, right? Like there's a clear top four right now. And then yeah. there's like a couple more. And then there's like seven through 12, like this BYU through like Georgia or USC chunk or Wisconsin even are all like, you can put those in almost any order, I think, and I'm not going to quibble with it. So it's, it's that people don't sometimes realize they see a big gap of like five spots, but really those would almost all be a tie. If you, if you were just putting them in tiers. I, in the end, Indiana is 12th overall in the AP poll. They dropped from nine to 12. Yeah. And then the coaches poll respect to the coaches poll dropped from 10 to 12. So not much of a drop. I think I would, again, imaginary. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more imaginary this year than I would in normal years. Who do you think's better, Northwestern or Indiana? Like, who do you think? I get resume voting totally. Who do you think's I, no, but better? I, I really, really, really struggled with that, honestly, because I think Northwestern's defense might just be that good. The one thing is, is that Northwestern's starting quarterback is Michael Penix's backup, which is not the end-all be-all, yeah. but it's like, oh, well, who is like, well, they're, Literally, it's like, well, who's better, Indiana or Northwestern? It's like, well, literally, their starting quarterback is our backup. It's like the guy that we didn't want anymore. So I think based on sure. eyeballs, I like Northwestern. I think Northwestern is balanced. I think Indiana is better than Northwestern. I think Indiana would beat Northwestern if they played. So I would not have had a problem putting Indiana ahead of Northwestern. But I think Northwestern is in that tw- in that range of the 7 to 12 that you're talking about. So yeah. I think it's all I think it's all very close. And I do think... Northwestern earned respect with that win over Wisconsin. It's funny. I mean, T. Shu, our our bookmaker on the Friday pod, was telling us he thought Wisconsin was up there with the Floridas and the Notre Dames of the world, that they were as legit as that. And so I don't think we want to lose sight. It's very hard. It's very hard. Listen, Wisconsin had beaten – who'd they win and beat in week one? Illinois? No. Illinois. They had beaten Illinois and Michigan, and Michigan's yeah. not very good. So they were 2-0 and based on that, and we thought they were really good. And so then they lost to Northwestern. But, Does that mean Wisconsin's not good? Right. No, I don't think it means that. I think Wisconsin is good. 
but man, Northwestern took care of business. But I do think, and maybe this is unfair, who do you think matches up better with Ohio State, Indiana or Northwestern? Probably Indiana only because when it gets down 35 to seven, it can go get those points. And I don't think Northwestern could, if that were to happen. I don't think Northwestern has the skill guys that Indiana does with Fry Fogel, Wap Fillier and Michael Penix. And so I think to compete at the highest level, like Penix gives you a shot against a really good team. And then Tom Allen's going to dial up some blitzes and taste some risks take some risks. I think Northwestern is really solid. I think Indiana's ceiling is higher and Indiana has played decently close to its ceiling most of the year. So, you know, I, I think it would be a good game if Indiana played Northwestern, but I, my gut would tell me right now that Indiana would win. We sometimes, I think, and I try not to do this. I try not to get sucked into the, yeah, I mean, they've got these skill players that are putting up these flashy numbers, but then Northwestern just keeps beating everybody. And isn't doesn't that ultimately have a value that it doesn't matter who is actually putting up the fantasy football kind of numbers for them or whatever. And so that you try to factor that in. Northwestern moved from 19th to 11th in the AP poll. So people were sufficiently impressed by that. I think there were probably – that would help that there were maybe some people who weren't even voting for Northwestern up until this week and finally started voting for them this week, and that shot them up the poll a little bit. Um, I did want to make mention I did finally vote for Coastal Carolina this I week. I saw that. I saw that. Breaking my long embargo. But they actually beat somebody good. I mean, they won on the road at UCF. UCF's uh, – or I'm sorry, oh. they won on the road at Appalachian State. Or maybe it might have even been at home. They beat Appalachian State, which is – Appalachian State's another good team. They were like a top 25 – low 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 top 25 caliber team so when you start playing and beating teams like that and you're undefeated i'll throw you a low top 25 vote um it's insane to me they, although i thought it's actually funny so they finally beat somebody good somebody like objectively good somebody that would be in the a, a real um fbs program and they dropped in the poll they actually dropped from 15 to 16 this week after i finally voted for them yeah that's weird. I mean, sometimes somebody was maybe somebody had a good win to move ahead of them. Well, Northwestern. Well, Northwestern. Yeah. Northwestern, Iowa State had a big um, win. Oklahoma crushing Oklahoma State, I think, moved up on some ballots. Um, USC, um, I think, is moving up some people's ballots. Indiana, even actually on some people's ballots. I mean, they didn't drop as far as they would have or they might have gone up on other people like me. So I think that was all a factor there. They only it was only one spot. I think they were tied for 16, tied for 15 last week and dropped to 16. Um, and Marshall dropped to 17. So whatever, but um, yeah, I'm good with that. The ballot this week. It was, uh, uh, I think, I mean, I think it's okay to hold out on teams. And it sounds like, like I would have said, well, if you haven't been voting for Northwestern, you've been wrong, but if people are holding out for a good Northwestern win, then I get it. And you were holding out for a good coastal Carolina win. And I get it. Team. I would keep an eye on in the big 10. It's interesting is Iowa. They've won three in a row. They're kind of crushing people. They lost by one to Northwestern. They lost by four at Purdue. Uh, when David Bell just went crazy and it's two years in a row where he's done that to Iowa and he may just be one of those guys that they can't cover for whatever reason. But um, interesting team that I, I want to see how some results go in the West that involve them the rest of the way. Uh, but Northwestern, we should talk about real quick, though, unless unless they're coming up later on your list for any reason. But I mean, Northwestern's next three opponents are like Minnesota, Michigan State and Illinois. So yeah. they're going to be eight and oh and probably pretty high in the CFP rankings in the big 10 championship game. So do they take the, do they take the place of what you were talking about with Wisconsin last week? No, they don't have the juice. They don't have the juice to do it. They don't have their and And as much as I push back, you know, it's all about this year and that kind of thing. 
I think juice matters more this year. I think eye test matters. They're winning all their games by three. So they're not going to win the eye test. They don't have their national reputation that Wisconsin has. They don't have a high profile guy at quarterback like Graham Mertz, like a top 100 national kind of guy. And so the theory of can the Big Ten championship game loser somehow be the fourth team in the playoff if, it, if there's an opening there, to me, applied only to Wisconsin, and it doesn't apply to Northwestern. And it cracks me up, and I get that everybody does it. It's interesting. I think there's a lot of college football sites that since people – can't go to games as much. There are more people doing sort of like in the moment national roundups sort of like, and I kind of like some of them like Ralph Russo at the AP does one ESPN.com does one Pete Thamel does one at Yahoo. I like some of them. And then some people do, you know, some playoff roundups right off the top. And, and someone, I saw a headline that was like, is Northwestern like a playoff contender now? And I mean, the answer to all this stuff is like, everybody's a playoff contender if they win all their games. So, I mean, like, if right. you win, what does Northwestern have to do to, to make the college football playoff? I don't know. Go undefeated. And that includes beating Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. So it's like, are they going to do that? Heck no. There's no way in, in heck that they're going to beat Ohio State. So no, Northwestern is not a playoff contender. And nobody has been higher on Northwestern than me this whole year. They are not a playoff contender. And so I am going to spend no wasted breath trying to debate whether Northwestern, how they go up against Florida or Texas A&M or Oregon or USC or Cincinnati or BYU, because it's not happening, brother, and nobody's going to vote for him there. I think you're right. I was trying to think of like what a, what a parallel would be in, in recent FC or Power 5 um, history, a team that would go undefeated and go into their conference championship game, but still be thought of as uh, – kind of still on the fringe of it. I don't know. I mean, like when Wisconsin was undefeated and played Ohio state for the big 10 championship um, here a few years ago, that, that may be the closest example, but I think they were probably even still higher regarded than this in, in some ways. Yeah. They had more juice than this, but I think that's a decent parallel, but I'll be curious, you know, this is not going to be one of those things where the committee's not going to, the committee, you know, if Northwestern's eight and O let's say that there are five, undefeated teams or whatever, like by the time we get to the end of the regular season and get the championship weekend and Northwestern's one of them, they're not going to be fifth. You know what I mean? Like if there are five undefeated teams, there will be one loss teams ranked ahead of Northwestern in the college football playoff rankings, Florida or Texas A&M or Clemson or whatever. I am certain of that. There is no dispute about that because all credit to Northwestern, but again, they're beating a bunch of middle of the pack, big 10 teams, 21, 17, and that's great. And they're good, but they don't really belong in a top four conversation. We're going to get to that a little bit later. We have another uh, segment here where we're going to talk about the college football rankings. First ones come out Tuesday. So that'll be uh, something to watch here for Ohio state in the next few days. Uh, Margin call. This is where we, both buy or sell or trade or whatever, uh, some entity in college football for this week, a player, a coach, a team, a conference, a concept. Doug, who are you buying or selling this week? So I can't get off this topic. I have a, I'm a very one track person. There's only, I can't think about, actually I can, but in this regard, I am sticking with my bread and butter because I'm buying JT Daniels the new starting quarterback at Georgia, <laughs> which means Stetson Barnett has entered the transfer portal officially. 
Wake Forest and everyone else, please prepare your offers for Stetson Barnett to be your new quarterback. Greg Schiano, you have my number. JT Daniels, like everybody in the country is like, whoa, I wasn't JT Daniels playing before. This guy started his first game. He's the USC transfer coming off an ACL tear, transferred to Georgia. It was like, oh, they had Jamie Newman, the Wake Forest transfer. They have JT Daniels. It's taken this long for whatever reason. Maybe it's health related and there's nothing that could be done. But for whatever reason, he didn't start until now. He threw for 401 yards, 28 for 38 against Mississippi State. 401, four touchdowns, no picks. And go watch his highlights. It's all 50-yard bombs. He dropped dimes all over the place. And I took the opportunity to remind myself and everyone else that when Georgia lost to Florida, so, okay, Georgia lost to Bama. What are you going to do? But basically that Georgia-Florida game was a huge game in the East. It's kind of like the play, basically the play-in game to get in the SEC championship game. The Georgia quarterbacks in that game, They played Stetson Bennett and Dwan Mathis were combined nine of 29 for 112 yards, two touchdowns and three picks. And that was like two or two or three weeks ago. And it's like, what was preventing JT Daniels from participating in that game? They lost that game 44, 28. That was Georgia's season and they've figured it out now, but it's too late. I, I don't see the path at the moment. I don't see it for Georgia to somehow get to the SEC championship game, to have a chance to beat Bama. And like maybe with JT Daniels, and we've all been talking about their defense most of the year, maybe they are at that level, but they've already blown it. Go watch the JT Daniels highlights. So like I'm buying that dude, but you know, Georgia wishes they could have bought him three weeks ago. Uh, JT Daniels was pro football Focus's offensive player of the week this week. So that's just, I mean, that tells you something that's like, that's, and that's like, that's not just stats. That's like next level grading of like, you know, precision and efficiency and all that stuff. And uh, that's quite a debut. So it is interesting to think like where, how, how different the landscape would look right now across college football in some ways, or especially for this playoff picture, if he had been their quarterback from day one. And I get it. Stuff is hard, but I mean, it's, yeah. this is what people have been talking about with Kirby Smart. It's like just, he's screwed up the quarterback position. And Jamie Newman, they thought it was going to be Jamie Newman, the Wake Forest transfer who was good last year, and then he opted out, and that put them in a bind a little bit. But as we've said a million times on this podcast, it was never Stetson Bennett, and like that they tricked themselves into that, torpedoed their season. So my margin call, I am selling. I almost did this last week. I, I backed off of it. I thought it was maybe too hot of a topic, and I don't want us to get bogged down on this. But I'm selling your, your college football COVID-19 conspiracy theories you all sound kind of ridiculous. And there was the latest one is Clemson, Florida state, you know, Dabo Sweeney tonight saying, or today saying that uh, basically he's calling Florida state cowards uh, and saying that they um, didn't want to play. So that's why they came up with this COVID-19 excuse. When the, the, the story there is that Clemson was known to be using a symptomatic player in practice who was testing negative, but had COVID-19 symptoms and then tested positive. And so Florida State had some concerns about playing that game, Um, which I think regardless of whether you think about what you think about the concept of transmission during a football game, I think that's a legitimate reason to have concerns about how the COVID protocols were being handled for that game. Um, All the ones in the Big Ten about um, you can go back to Nebraska saying that Wisconsin was scared to play them. 
or uh, the, the people complaining about Maryland preemptively before they, we knew the extent of the outbreak, saying they knew the outbreak was going to be as bad as it was or thought it might be, so they backed off of the playing the Ohio State game. Or that people who are now worried that Michigan is going to, um, if Ohio State doesn't play enough games, are going to back out of or come up with some kind of COVID excuse not to play that game so it hurts Ohio State in the, in the Big Ten East race or in the, the CFP, which we found out today that the, the playoffs said that that's not going to be a factor. It doesn't matter how many games you play. You can still make the playoffs. Just all that stuff needs to stop. Uh, I, I think, again, you all sound ridiculous. There's it's, it's a significant again, we don't want to get I don't want to hide side hijack the whole podcast with this, but people need to um, take the tinfoil hats off a little bit when it comes to this. Can I sell Dabo Sweeney as a functioning human being? I, that I, dude, if, if anybody will still buy him, that guy, man. And, and I just want to make this point. So the deal with that Clemson thing was right. It, was, it wasn't a backup offensive lineman was symptomatic, but had not right. yet tested positive. Right. And they let him practice and he flew with right. the team right. to Tallahassee. And then tested positive. And then he tested positive. Right. The, the bre- backup offensive lineman, backup offensive lineman, the Browns, Miles Garrett felt sick. Miles Garrett did not practice. The best defensive player in the NFL, arguably, stayed home from practice on Wednesday and Thursday and did not test positive until Friday. So the best defensive for COVID. So Miles Garrett did not play for the Browns on Sunday, but he did not wipe out the rest of his team from contact tracing. He did not put his team's game at risk. He just couldn't play because... They said he, even though he's so good and so important to them, he stayed away. And Clemson had a guy who had symptoms and they kept having him at practice. And this is just one of those things. Do you handle it seriously or do you not handle it seriously? So if I'm Florida State, I don't trust Clemson's handling of that. No, I mean, how could you? I mean, again, I think you bring up a point. It's a backup offensive lineman. They've already lost Trevor Lawrence for two games this season to COVID-19 and lost a game while he was gone. I don't know that. I mean, their other quarterback played pretty well while he was gone. I don't know if that was the reason they were missing some other guys too, because of injury, but still I, I, to, to, what are you thinking? Putting that guy on the field, you don't need him to prepare for that game. You just don't, you don't need the backup offensive lineman to do it. Why is there not an abundance of caution? Whether you think that this disease is, uh, is as real as it, I think obviously is, uh, why would you not, use an abundance of caution and, and avoid the exact situation you ended up putting yourself in on Saturday. It's just idiocy to me. And then bottom line, and I do think we can move on because we don't like, as you said, we don't want to get right. bogged down in this bottom line is okay. But now that like Dabo, not only it's Clemson's fault. Okay. But now it's Dabo throwing shade like Dabo's coming after Florida yeah. state. And it's like, yeah. it's your screw up. And now you're attacking the other team. Dabo as a, person who lives on this earth in a community who where you must be among other people and do the right thing i'm selling dabbo for sale dabbo for sale for a nickel get your fresh dabbo sweetie only a nickel covid was just an excuse to cancel the game is what he said and he thinks in his in his opinion florida state forfeited the game can I tell Dabo yeah. to cram it up his cram hole? Can I say? He's probably not listening, but you can try. We'll get somebody to, to, to relay that message. One of our South Carolina listeners. We do have some. 
Yeah. I've seen that from, I've seen those numbers from the text 614-350-3315. If you have not signed up, we would love to have you for the next couple of weeks, uh, two week free trial. You can follow us uh, as the, as the season progresses here down the stretch. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We are going to come back with more Ohio state football topics here on Buckeye talk. All right, we are back. It is the story of the week. This is where we focus on uh, specifically for the Ohio State game, the Ohio State-Illinois game, as it is coming up here after Thanksgiving on uh, Saturday and uh, a noon kickoff on, I believe, FS1. And just what is what is the prevailing topic going into that game? What are we thinking? I'm going to go first. And I know that the big topic right now is the secondary play. We covered that extensively after the game. I am assuming we're going to talk about it some more later this week. I want to talk about the pass rush a little bit because we, something we touched on after the game and you brought up in the moment, like as you look back over the game, you said, you know, is, was the pass rush there? Like, is it getting like, because Ohio state's players and coaches recently have been saying they're, I don't satisfied, not be the right word. Content might be the better word of, they feel like they're getting pressure. They feel like they're affecting the game with their pressure, even if they're not getting home and getting a lot of sacks, which they're not. Other than the, the Penn State game where Tommy Togai had three and I think they had five or six as a team, they're not really piling up a lot of sacks in these games. They only had two on 51 attempts by Michael Penix the other night, uh, yesterday, I should say, Saturday. Pro Football Focus said that the 27 attempts that he had against pressure were the most in the nation this year, tied for the most in any single game this year. So clearly, Ohio State is creating some pressure. I just feel like the, maybe the pass rush needs to take over games a little bit more, get home a little bit more, and take some of the pressure, using pressure a different way, take some of the pressure off of the secondary. We talked coming into the season about how those two things are, are very linked. You're going to have a very young secondary, and the, the more of a pass rush that you could create up front, it was going to help the secondary more. And I feel like maybe that balance has not been there the way they had hoped it would be through four games. Go watch the I mean, go back and watch the game. Penix made some great throws under pressure with the pack, the pocket yeah. collapsing around him. I mean, he really hung in there and made some throws, but I think that's that connection that you're talking about. We just went from a Damon Arnett, Sean Wade, Jeff Okuda, hooked to chase young, right? That all those, that coverage with that pass rush, bringing out the best of everyone and both, both areas are a step down this year and you can feel it a little bit. So I, I, I those PFF numbers are interesting and, and they matter and not everything's a sack. That's it's rudimentary football to only focus on sacks. We get that pressure hurries matter. If quarterback hits matter, can you, can you throw a guy off? Can you make him feel you? Um, but then also sometimes you've got to get home and they did get home. They did get home. Werner got a sack at the end of the game when they really need it. They did get home. But a lot of the other time, like there, I don't, I didn't feel like their pass rush, like really stopped Michael Penix from doing what he wanted to do. He just did it in the midst of a pass rush kind of right. Which is maybe yeah. more about the quarterback than it is about the pass rush. But, and I'll be interested I, when we talk to them this week, I mean, cause they were talking going into the game about, it's okay. It's pressure. But then are you getting a hand in a guy's face? Are you distracting him in some way? Like those kinds of little things. It would not surprise me at all when we get players and coaches on Tuesday, if they say, well, we were in the right place, but we need to get our hands up. We need to do those little things. Sometimes those little things are a, a big difference. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. The stats matter, but he threw for 491. So the pressure didn't do that much to him. No. What is your story of the week? Who are they playing? Illinois. What are we going to do? 
<laughs> so do we have to work this out? What are you two going to do? Um, not- I think uh, whoever uh, whoever processes the pod is going to have to be ready to just clip that S off of every single time he says the team name. So or we just make him call them the Illini. Or we get to call him Stephen Mean from now on. I mean, it's just how he says it. I don't know what we can do. Language, language is a living thing. You know, I, we know you grew up there, and I think that's why this is part of it. It's your home state, and we get it. But I don't know. At some point, like, we can't – If we're, you guys are going to murder each other over this thing. I think addressing them as the Illini might be the way to go. I think that might be the way to go. So the yeah, I didn't grow up in Ohio, but I know how to pronounce the name. No, I know. See, here we are. Talk about bogging down. I mean, this is – it's going to be the pronunciation podcast. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to sit back and let you guys go at it, but I don't know what we're going to do because – I can tell. I can tell you're already like prepared for it. I don't know. I don't care about Illinois. They stink. Here's what I they stink, right? Who'd they beat? Nebraska. God, Nebraska. You, you got it. You picked it correctly. You had you took Illinois getting like 14 and a half points or something like that. They won by 18. I had this stat queued up and then Michigan won in quadruple overtime against Rutgers. But it's amazing to think about. So I didn't tweet it. But when Nebraska came in to the Big Ten and they divided it legends and leaders originally, they talked about wanting to sort of divide it up. That was again not geographic. It was about trying to balance the divisions. And they thought they had four traditional national powerhouses in Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, and Nebraska. And they wanted to balance that. And that's why you had Michigan and Nebraska on one side and you had Ohio State and Penn State on the other side. And right now, Ohio State is 4-0. And if Michigan had lost those three other supposed national powers that people were talking about in 2011 or whatever it was, would have been two and 12 because Penn State's 0 and 5. Michigan would have been one and four, but they won. And Nebraska's one and three. And Nebraska's only win is against Penn State. So Michigan beating Michigan beating Rutgers screwed everything up. If Rutgers would have won, they would have had as many wins as Nebraska, Penn State, and Michigan combined. Yeah, I mean, the stats, we could have done nothing but that all week. So, so it, it actually reminds me of something I wanted to bring up in Margin Call. I was going to give you, so people might remember when we did the tiers podcast, the, the, the seven tiers of college football, and I put Nebraska in tier six. I believe you had them in tier four. And I made the comment that I thought that they were actually closer to tier seven than they were to tier four, being a tier 16. I was going to give you that we, we've uh, sometimes when we do margin call, I, I think of it in terms of like it actually is stock buying and selling. I wanted to give you the chance to sell your tier four stock that you own in Nebraska at tier four price or tier five price before the bottom drops out of that market. Yeah. I mean, the tier discussion is interesting. I think I had like Florida State in like tier three. You know, I mean, it's like part of it is like who you are, what you've been and what you can be based on who you are and what you've been. And like Florida State, I think it makes more sense to keep Florida State elevated above their actual performance because they're in Florida and there's talent all around them. They just have to figure it out. Nebraska well, also won the national championship in the last decade uh, and years ago, they right. are. I mean, they're always in the, and they're often at the very top of the rankings too. They're often like a top five, top 10 rankings team in the recruiting rankings. Nebraska's case is very different from that. So I still think Frost, I think this is still more of a pandemic mulligan. I think Pat Forty had a thing the other week on his stuff on Sports Illustrated where he was talking about like mulligans for coaches and is what you are doing indicative or is it more of a mulligan? And I think it's an interesting way to think about it. 
I think Frost is still a little bit in mulligan mode, so I'm not completely giving up on them. They've got to get a quarterback they believe in, but they also have to elevate their level of recruiting. I would like to get them down to Tier 5, though. I'm not in Tier 6 or Tier 7 yet, but I don't want to be hanging. So if I could trade in my Tier 4 stock, take a little hit now, maybe lose 20% of my investment as I downgrade them to Tier 5, um, because, yeah, they're not Tier 4. Well, you ain't selling it to me, but maybe somebody out there will take it. Maybe <laughs> Scott Frost will take it. Maybe uh, some 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 runs a dealership uh, owner. Deal Bill dealership. I say like the, it's a car dealership or runs a dealership. I love Runza. Bill Moose, their AD is seems a little loose. I think he'd buy my my tier five stock. I, I think you might be right. Uh, we're gonna take another break here. We're gonna come back and talk some more Ohio State football on the Monday Madness edition of Buckeye Talk. All right, walk the line. This is where we talk about the Ohio State Illinois betting line or whatever the Ohio State betting line is for that week. And I need to bring it up because I thought I had it up and I don't. I'm going to interject real quickly. The actual thing that I am interested in the Ohio State Illinois game the most is the Justin Fields, Ryan Day conversation about risk reward, where they go with that. Justin held the ball too long for a couple sacks. He had two bad picks for sure. One's a bad read. The other two are more decision. I'm curious to see what he looks like against Illinois. If he comes out, if he's getting rid of the ball faster, if you can tell like Ryan Day has pounded it into him, will we actually have moments against Illinois where we think to ourselves, man, Justin maybe could have done something there if he wouldn't have just thrown it out of bounds. You know what I mean? Like, I almost think, are we going to see a a more cautious Justin Fields because was Indiana the game where it was like, okay, that's it, Justin. So, or will they work it out and Justin Fields is going to come out and make big plays and you can still be smart and make big plays, but maybe he takes no sacks. Maybe he, I don't know, like that whole thing. I'm very curious to see how he's great. Justin Fields is great, but I'm curious how he goes about his business on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those games that there can be a, uh, it doesn't have to mean you don't have to have an overhaul, but there can be a recalibration of how you approach some things based on how you, how this one team played you. Cause you know, you're going to see it again. Now, you know, all those teams out there that might see Ohio state in the postseason. I mean, even Northwestern, I think is probably going to look at that and say, Hey, here's maybe a way that we can attack them. Yeah. Uh, the Ohio state, uh, Ohio state, Illinois line opened at 30. It has dropped all the way to 28 as far as the consensus line at vegasinsiders.com. I think I'm taking, I'm, I'm hammering Ohio state at minus 28. I mean, two weeks in a row where they haven't covered big spreads, but this just feels like a week where they're going to maybe take the lid off a little bit and then they might have a statement they have to make. Get healthy game. I think I agree with that for sure. Um, but I'm, not, I'm not surprised. I think this is about right. I don't think you could make it 35 right now. Right. And I think, and you sort of wrote about this in the post. It's like they might be up by, 42 at some point but are you at the point of believing that they're going to give up 14 points in the fourth quarter and not cover yeah then that's the thing like these past two games they're up 35 to 3 against Rutgers they're up 35 to 7 early in the third quarter against Indiana if those games had kept that trajectory a little bit and they'd won those I don't know what the the um, spread for this game might have been it probably would have been more like 35 than 30 but um, still I'm, I'm I'm pretty comfortable taking Ohio State and the points as of right now have not having like studied it in depth in any way not that i will at any point this week because i'm not actually putting down money on it but i i still think uh, i would predicting that at the end of this week in the predictions pod i'll be taking ohio state minus kind of whatever number is there can i ask you about one other betting line for this uh-huh. week 
Did you look to see what the Penn State Michigan line is? It is. I did at, not. It is at Michigan. So go ahead and guess. I looked. I did look. So go ahead well, and guess what it is. Once you said it, I looked at it. Oh, okay. What do you think of that? It's a three about a three or three and a half point line, right? It's three Penn and a half State is a consensus right now. Three and a half is a consensus right now, which is kind of, I mean, almost like saying those teams are just are even. And I guess I would probably call that. That's about how I would see it right now. I guess I would probably take Michigan by. No more than three and a half, maybe, maybe less. So here I was talking with somebody, uh, another sports writer who had a theory about this. I disagreed with it in general, his theory, but I think it makes certainly more sense for Michigan than it does for Penn State. And it's this Penn State's Penn State. I don't know what Penn State's going to do to get off the schneid, right? I mean, they are who they are. I guess they could play Will Levis more or whatever. I don't know. Sean, Cl- but Michigan just made a quarterback change now. They have gone to Cade McNamara. It's going to be the Cade McNamara show. They started Joe Milton again against Rutgers, went to McNamara. He rallied them in the second half, and Harbaugh after the game basically said, like, nobody had kind of won the job in practice, but now they're going to go with McNamara. And this person was theorizing, does Michigan go on a run now? And if they, if McNamara looks like he can run this offense better than Milton has, Milton looked pretty good in week one against Minnesota and has not been good since, is that an actual fix for Michigan is this weird, silly, you know, everybody who covers Ohio state was like mocking every Ohio state fan and reporter was mocking the Michigan Rutgers game. As it happened, it like went to past midnight triple overtime, dear God, Michigan has to go to triple overtime in Piscataway to win, but they did win. And do they actually somehow seize a little momentum out of that? Maybe have better quarterback play and, and is this something? Is Michigan maybe gonna show a little more than they have? I think of the two teams, Michigan has the better chance, perhaps by far the better chance to figure something out in the second half than Penn State does. So I would imagine I might take this game this week on the Friday Picks Pod. But what in general, Nathan, do you at all buy the idea of any sort of to what any kind of degree like a Michigan revival here? Well, I think in their case, I mean, it has been such a, a scattershot offensive situation that I think if you can find a quarterback who can get in any kind of a groove, um, I, I do buy it from that extent. I, it, it's, it traces back a little bit to our discussion about Ohio State. Like you've got a problem in the secondary. Do you fix it just by throwing someone else who's unproven a little bit in, in place of someone who's not getting the job done? And does that really fix it? I, I think it's different when a guy comes in and you see something and you, you start to see the result that you're looking for, whether they're showing in practice or not. So I, I guess I could see them getting revitalized a little bit, but I also think that there may be just enough underlying issues here that they're not going to ever get to uh, get, get back to where they maybe could have been. Yeah, I think that's very possible. But um, I, I was just fascinated by it's like, here are these two powers. We thought, you know, my gosh, before the season, you would have thought Michigan Penn State this week would have been a top 15 game or something. And here we are. And it's just a mess. Uh, Indiana favored by 14 at home against Maryland. So we'll, we'll talk more about those later in the week. But um, interesting that now kind of the respect that they're getting, where they're going to be big favorites now, I think, at home against teams like that. Where in the past, that might have been a, you know, less than a touchdown spread, uh, even against a team like Maryland. And I want to interject one last thing here one before we get to the playoffs. The Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Minnesota Vikings kind of, un- not kind of unexpectedly, rather unexpectedly, Andy Dalton leading them to the big win on Sunday. You do not want to know how much time I have spent 
in the last three weeks theorizing about a two and 14 Dallas Cowboys season that would have culminated with them getting the second pick in the draft and taking Justin Fields <laughs> and letting Dak Prescott go. And then Dak Prescott hitting the open market coming off the injury, maybe getting like a prove me kind of contract from somebody, but that, that like the idea of, Justin Fields joining Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas and Justin Fields living his life with the star on the helmet has preoccupied my thoughts because I was waiting. Jake Luton in Jacksonville is the guy who had been playing for Gardner Minshew. And I was, I was thinking that Jacksonville was going to steal a win out of new, out of nowhere. If you assume the jets are going to go over and they're going to take Trevor Lawrence. Cause I just, the jets can't not, can't move away from Trevor Lawrence. When you're that bad, you have to take the obvious guy. Even if, Half the people in the NFL maybe will come around and think, oh, Justin's a better prospect. Trevor Lawrence is going to the Jets. I think Justin Fields is going to be the number two pick. I think maybe a team will trade up to get him. But, man, Justin as a Cowboy. And now the Cowboys have three wins, and the Jaguars still only have one. And there's like four or five teams with three wins. I don't, so I don't, I don't think Justin as a Cowboy is going to happen anymore. The plans I had. I was getting ready to start a Justin Fields draft tracker. I mean, and you don't even, and you also don't want to know Mike McCarthy has bombed in Dallas and we've seen it with Freddie Kitchens one year and out. I know that yes, Dak Prescott got hurt. Mike McCarthy has been terrible in Dallas. You don't know who I thought might be Justin Fields coach with the Dallas. I I can take some guesses. You don't want me to go down that road because there's a lot of interesting things that would make for interesting college football columns, but now they beat the Vikings and I think they shot them all to heck. Uh, that's too bad. Uh, which would be better for Justin Fields's NFL success long-term? Win- just, just winning games, being drafted by the Cowboys or being drafted by the Jaguars? Cowboys, I think. I think. Um, I don't know if that, I believe that. Not that, I, not that either franchise is particularly healthy at the moment. Um, but I think the Jaguars are a little more of a, you know what? You might be right. I mean, I don't know why anybody would believe in the Cowboys. Talk about margin call. Like you buy and sell the Cowboys. They've, I mean, they've, they've lived off reputation. They really haven't done that much. Dak had a good year. I think they won 13 games with Dak the one year, but I think all the success, it depends what you determine success would be. I think all the success that you've seen Dak Prescott have, and he has had success. He has proven himself to be a very, very, very good NFL quarterback. I think Justin would have stepped right into that, but it's not like the Cowboys are getting in the NFC championship game with Dak's success. So I think Justin would have had a lot of personal success there, but maybe not have it translate into team success because sometimes the Cowboys can't get out of their own way. I think it's what's interesting is someday some quarterback is going to go there and and win and figure it out and be the next quarterback that wins a Super Bowl there. And they're just, and that and because it's the Cowboys that automatically elevates you to some kind of legendary status. So if it, it, it will always be an attractive place, I think if you're a quarterback to maybe go there and be the guy and then you, you hit and now you're, it, it elevates you. It puts you on Rushmore a little bit. Oh, for sure. And I just think, I mean, it's, it's just really interesting. You just hope for all these guys. I mean, it's a tough spot. You're going to be a high pick and bad teams get the high pick. So, you know, you can see how things work out. I, I think there might be a cavalcade of teams trying to trade up for Justin. Kind of like in 2016 when the Rams traded up to one to take golf and the Eagles traded up to take once at number two. I think the Jets are going to take Lawrence at one. But like the, you know, the Bengals might end up with the second pick. Well, they're not taking a quarterback. So they'll ransom that pick 
And then all of a sudden, you know, there are going to be teams that would be the best situation for Justin. If the San Francisco, San Francisco 49ers said, Jimmy G is not our guy, but we will trade five future first rounders to the Bengals to get the number two pick to take Justin Fields. And now you insert Justin in a situation with a winning coach and a winning roster. I mean, I think that's the best case scenario for a guy like Justin Fields. And so I don't want to get bogged down in that. I just was watching that Cowboys score as the podcast started because they were trailing the Vikings, but they had the ball and they scored and won because I just have been so obsessed with Justin Fields as a Dallas Cowboy. Fear factor. This is where we talk about how much Ohio State fans should be concerned about the next game. I don't know what we ever decided the percentage. There's like a baked in minimum percentage. It can't be zero this year. There has to be some percentage of concern every game because of the virus. So whatever percentage that is, and actually probably a little less, I'm probably actually breaking the rule, is what my percentage would be for this. So it's like 20.2% just because they're coming off of a, a game where they were so vulnerable offensive, defensively, I should say. Justin Fields did make some mistakes. You want to see those things start to go in the right way, I suppose, if you're a fan. But there's, there's no chance that Illinois wins this game, I don't believe. No, Illinois stinks. And so I would lower it even below whatever the minimum of threshold is because, and you, you make sure I'm right on this. Illinois plays Wisconsin week one. Wisconsin then immediately has guys test positive for COVID, like right after that game. And that's when Wisconsin can't play for the next two weeks. It's like, okay, well, not, like did Wisconsin give it to Illinois by playing that game somehow? Illinois, that by the next Saturday, does have guys who have COVID but they played. So they did not bail on their game. They, whatever their threshold was, if you thought, if they're, if you are an Ohio state fan who does think that Maryland should have tried to play and they Minnesota played with some COVID guys the other night, didn't they on Friday night against they, Purdue? They, I want to make sure people understand what you're saying. The team played, but not with those guys, but yes, right, the but, team went ahead and played. Yes. But Minnesota if, was missing several players like, 20 or something like that and still so if, played because because again the whole thing with the maryland game when a maryland maryland pulled the plug on the ohio state game not because they had necessarily hit a big 10 threshold but they decided they couldn't play so i guess the idea of Mar illinois has proven that it will play with at least a few guys having covid that they'll play without those guys just like minnesota proved it on friday so i think maybe that raises the chances of the ohio state game staying on track just because Illinois won't cancel if they get a few. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying we have a little bit of evidence that Illinois wants, will try to play. And so that increases the chances of the game happening. From my recollection, Illinois had two players that they knew had tested positive, one of which being um, the, the starting quarterback. And Brandon Peters, right? Brandon Peters, yeah. And former Michigan. And uh, then they had like another they, I think they had 14 total players out and they weren't saying which ones were contact tracing and which ones were other injuries, but there were several that were out for contact tracing, but it had not tested positive as far as we know. So if they were to have a bigger outbreak, I think we'd, they'd have a problem, but with just a few guys, this is how they, we, we have evidence that they handle it without canceling the game. So, um, and I, and Lovey Smith, I think it, that may be a factor. You got Lovey Smith, who's a former NFL head coach. And uh, you got Josh Whitman, who played in the NFL as their AD and was a Big Ten football player. Um, I, those guys, I think, want to play football. So I think that it, it, it's out of their hands to some extent with the medical professionals who make some of these decisions or heavily involved in these decisions. But I do wonder sometimes if that can be a factor, that those guys are going to 
find a way sometimes to power through those situations if it's just a couple guys. Who's your four? This is where we pick our four college football playoff teams. This has not changed the last couple of weeks for either of us, and I assume that's still the case, that we probably still have the same four teams. Uh, the, the, the first rankings release is Tuesday night. The, the college football playoff committee is meeting this weekend or starting tomorrow, I think, or today. And they released their first top 25 on Tuesday night. And I think it's probably going to be the same four teams that we picked the last two weeks, which is one Alabama, two Notre Dame, three Ohio State, four Clemson. 100% agree. What is the most likely thing that would prevent that order? If it's not that top four, what is the thing that it will not be? And I have a candidate for my thing. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm trying to get in the minds of the committee for the first week. Right. Well, it's funny. I saw earlier today ESPN um, had a had its playoff predictor. And I think it had those same top three, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, had Cincinnati number four, Northwestern five, and Clemson was well down the list because of the one loss. Yeah, that's, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that either. Um, if I had to pick which thing would maybe be hmm, the thing that would interrupt, the thing that would not be correct about that, I guess it would mean that maybe they would still put Ohio State two over Clemson. Well, you think Clemson, we think Clemson's going to be four or two, two over Notre Dame. I mean, two over Notre Dame. What about this? I think it's possible Notre Dame's one. Um, hmm. Now, Bama has beaten Georgia. Bama has a really big time win, but I wonder about it. NAM. I wonder. I wonder. I don't, I wouldn't bet on it, but if I had to think like, what's the wrinkle? I think Clemson's four. I think Ohio State's three because I think the Notre Dame win over Clemson is good enough. And then Ohio State did not destroy Indiana. That I think the Notre Dame win over Clemson is, is enough that Notre Dame will be ahead of Ohio State. But like, is it enough that it's ahead of Bama? I don't know. But I would guess those four. And I guess, do you think there's any wrinkle? And it doesn't matter because it's early, but we love it. I mean, we love it. I'm so glad the committee does these and I know, but like, this is the only group that matters, but it does give us something to talk about and it's okay to have fun and it's okay to get a little peek. It is okay to get a little peek. Any chance Clemson's ahead of Ohio state that like, Hey, Clemson's played more games. Yes. They have a loss, but their best player didn't play in the loss. They also had a couple other people out and losing in overtime on the road at Notre Dame without a couple of your best players is nothing to be ashamed of. They're still three. Ohio State, who's only played four games and kind of barely hung on against Indiana, they're four. Uh, totally. I, I could totally see that happening. In fact, we should. that's something I think people should maybe brace for a little bit. I mean, again, these early rankings don't mean as much as if you're in the top four and you keep winning, then you're going to be okay. So it's not that big of a catastrophe if they're four instead of three. And there's still some things, to especially with Notre Dame, there's still a lot that can still happen, starting with this weekend. Um, huge game. They play at North Carolina, who's throwing up 550 yards a week and, and scoring 50 points on, on everybody right now. And uh, against Notre Dame, which is one of the best defenses in the country statistically, I think that's going to be a great game. Actually, it's Friday, I should say, not Saturday. Um, so there's a lot to, to there's a lot still on the table with Notre Dame. I think they're still the most like volatile of the top four. The, that you could have the biggest differential in outcomes for them. But it's, but then if Notre Dame were to like beat somebody like North Carolina on the road, I think it, it there does start to be at some point where you start to talk yourself into why don't they have the number one resume? No, I think that's right. They're only a three and a half point favorite against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's how much people think this is a game. And we've already gone over this. And again, we don't want to get bogged down in it. Sam Howell 
is kind of being a dude for North oh, yeah. Carolina. Steven uh, was in on him early, we should say. Yeah, he had him in as, as a Heisman guy. They were on a bye this week, so he doesn't have any fresh stats. But his last game, North Carolina beat Wake Forest 59-53. He threw for 550 yards and six touchdowns. So I think North Carolina is going to beat Notre Dame. And I actually think like the best thing, not the best thing, the most college football thing would be if Notre Dame's number one on Tuesday mm-hmm. and then loses. Yeah. I actually almost said that when you brought that up first. I was like, it would be kind of uh, fitting. We'd see that kind of thing, I think, a lot. Especially, it seems like it happens in college basketball, like automatically, like, oh, team just rose to number one and then automatically loses some kind of road game or whatever. Never heard from again. I mean, and Ohio State fans know this. 2010, Ohio State midseason finally elevates to number one, goes to Wisconsin, and I can't remember the guy's name, but Wisconsin returns the opening kickoff for a touchdown and beats number one Ohio State. Sometimes it's like, yeah, we're good. We don't have to be number one right now. It's okay. to Just let us be number two and let us go beat North Carolina and we'll figure it out. But I think we remain locked in the idea of until something weird happens with that top four, that's the top four. And I think Wisconsin losing only increased the chances of that. And so get back to us, at least get back to me when Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, or Alabama loses. But if the, if we go to championship weekend with that group, I'm going to assume that's the four. And, and Notre Dame, if Notre Dame keeps being Notre Dame, which is I don't have as much belief in Notre Dame as I have in the other three. But if Notre Dame keeps doing this and Notre Dame is a team and Ian Book is a quarterback that does beat North Carolina, listen, man, you, you take care of your business and you beat North Carolina, you keep gaining respect, and then whatever you do in the ACC championship game, if you lose, Clemson has Trevor Lawrence, but now you maybe you lose, but you still play well. Now the whole thing about like, oh, you want to be the one seed so you can play the stinky team who's the four seed, I think that's a little bit out the window too because if Notre Dame proves they're not last year's Oklahoma and that there's not as some giant gap between Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, and whoever's fourth, that Notre Dame's right in that mix, then it almost doesn't matter who's what seed and who plays who because I think you got four big time programs that recruit at a high level that all have dudes at quarterback that all have been there before. I'm not so sure that's not the best final four. Actually, I am sure what better final four could college football hope for than Bama Clemson, Ohio state, Notre Dame from a competition standpoint, from a rating standpoint, from North and South, it's not, all SEC teams. Nobody yeah. cares about the Pac-12. Who cares if they're not in? People are sick of Oklahoma giving up 70 in the playoff. That's their dream Final Four, and they're certainly on track for it right now. That's actually a really good point I hadn't thought about, but that is pretty much exactly – like if you were going to go – say at the beginning of the year, what's just best – if you were to ask the, the – the, give the, the college football playoff – executive committee that runs the thing give them a truth serum who are the four teams you would love to see in this semifinal every single year i think it would be those four teams and by the way if that if it does stay on track as we expect which is everybody wins out clemson with lawrence beats notre dame in the acc championship game it's 1000 percent going to be 
number one Alabama versus number four Notre Dame and number two Ohio State versus number three Clemson. So yeah, I think you can mark that down. Yeah. I guess I would I would leave room for like the occasional Texas or USC if they got back to true power status to sneak in there somehow, maybe in place of Clemson or something like that. But just uh, the drawing power of Alabama and Ohio State and Notre Dame, I think speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. So who would be your number five right now? Who are you guessing is going to be number five? I think it'll, I, I think it's going to be Florida, but I could be wrong about that. It's hard. I'll be curious to see what they do. Cause this goes back to right. A&M beat Florida. A&M lost to Bama. Florida one loss, lost to A&M beat Georgia. Mm-hmm. So will the committee be stick by the head to head goes to Texas A&M or Will they go more by, well, yes, that matters, but also Kyle Trask throws for 700 yards every game. And that's what matters more. So I think that is an interesting evaluation. And I'll be curious to see what the committee does, but I'm not sure it matters. Because I think Florida is going to win the East and then Florida is going to get its crack at Bama. And it only, all of that would only matter. I mean, again, A&M we've kind of outlined is, this now probably this team that would sneak into the fourth spot because they've lost to Bama. They're not going to get to the SEC championship game. They have a shot to run the table and they'd be this kind of best of the one loss also rands if something happens to Notre Dame. Right. So I do think that matters. So, but, but Florida, but Florida has to play Bama and M and Florida both have one loss and Florida still has to play Bama unless Florida loses along the way. And then they won't play Bama, but then it won't matter. So where Florida and Bama are in relation to each other, where A&M and Florida are in relation to each other doesn't matter because if Florida beats Bama, they're going to the playoff. And if Florida doesn't beat Bama, they're not going to the playoff. So Texas A&M is just sitting there regardless. I'll be eager to see what they do with A&M because the, 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 the committee clearly looks at metrics. They like, they, they've definitely embraced some, some deeper statistical analysis of teams and those analysis don't like Texas A&M. So I'm going to be curious to see how they, how they look at them. And I'm be curious to see where they put Cincinnati and BYU also it, on this first ranking. Do you think there's any chance that either Cincinnati or BYU is fifth? Yes, I, I could definitely see one of those teams being fifth. I don't know which one I've been ranking BYU one spot ahead of Cincinnati. I feel like that Boise state win where they went and just pulverized them is the best win of those two teams. And in other metrics I look at, I mean, they're, they're pretty even. So I don't know. I don't know which one they would put higher. And you saw the news. The Apple Cup for Saturday has been postponed Correct. between and Washington State and Washington. And Bruce Feldman right. has reported that Washington is thinking about scheduling BYU for Saturday. Well, I also saw a report, though, that BYU is hesitating for some reason as far as wanting to sign up for that. So I don't know if that's a negotiation or whatever, but uh, people may know more about that by the time this comes out. We're just going off of things that are sprinkled across our, our Twitter machines. This is that, by the way, which is why I push back against every time somebody wants to put one of those teams in the college football playoff because those teams like to say, give us a chance. And then you say, okay, here's your chance. And they say, oh no, we're good. Yeah. We don't, we would, we decline the opportunity. Yeah. We just want to be placed in. We would rather just have you keep thinking that we probably would beat a power five team. If we played them, we don't want to actually have to beat one. We would prefer for just your theory to backdoor us into the playoff 
rather than play Washington and have like an average power five team beat us by 20. So uh, BYU and Cincinnati also have the same open date. I believe it's December 5th because of some things that got switched around on the AAC schedule. If those two teams played each other, would that add any legitimacy to their candidacy? Do you For think? sure. hundred percent because it would coalesce at least around one team. It would, it would burnish the resume of one team, but also like with Baylor and TCU, if you're trying to make a point, but you can't even decide who you're making the point about yeah. that in the very first playoff year, the, the big 12 is saying, Hey, our champ should be in with one of the four. And the committee is like, well, who's your champ? And they're like, well, we don't know. So it's like, okay, then none. So it's like, Hey, put in a non-power five team that's undefeated. All right. Which one? I don't know. Cincinnati or BYU. Okay. Then neither. So you would, you would have them. The winner would get a great win, but you also would narrow the debate because if that committee can't even decide if it's a seven, six vote between BYU and Cincinnati of who's better then there's no way that one of those teams is getting in the top four. So they would be super smart to play, but I'll also believe it when I see it because sometimes you like to leave it to chance. It's, it's the mystery, right? It's like when I'm dressed up, you don't know what's underneath. So I've got my suit on and I say, I have a rockin' bod. BYU right now is saying, I have a rockin' bod. And, and somebody's saying, ooh. Cincinnati might be saying that. BYU is kind of prudish. That's true. Since Luke Fickle has – Cincinnati is telling the world, I have a rockin' bod. And everybody's like, the world's like, oh, yeah, Cincinnati, you got a rockin' bod. Why don't you show me that rockin' bod? And Cincinnati's like, no, I'll keep my shirt on. That's just what I would do. I don't want to actually prove I just want you to think it. And, and listen, my bod's good. I dress nicely. I – Every part of my ensemble, all eight of those wins are having they have all very good. But do you really want to take your shirt off? Or do you just want the world to assume you have a rock and bod and put you put you in the playoff under the assumption? I'll be very curious. I'll be dumbfounded if Cincinnati and BYU would somehow decide to play. But honestly, it's actually the only way either of them would ever get in the playoff is if they decide to kind of put it on the line. Yeah, I think I agree. That wraps up the Monday Madness pod. We have no pod on Tuesday. Pod schedule gets a little rearranged, I think, this week because of, of Thanksgiving. We will have a big Wednesday pod. I think as of right now, probably no Thanksgiving Day Thursday pod. And then and Friday, no Friday picks pod? pod? No, Friday, and picks, Friday pod. picks pod. Friday so picks pod. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have four pods this week instead of five. So the big one will be Wednesday instead of Thursday. We normally have a smaller Wednesday one, often kind of reacting to interviews. But we'll go big on Wednesday, probably talking about the playoff rankings, talking about our Heisman thoughts, talking about what we learned from Ohio State players on Tuesday. And that'll get you through Thanksgiving. And then Friday morning, we'll have that that picks pod waiting for you with our – I went 3-0. and I went 3-0 and this weekend, by the way. Wow. I have Fuck. been terrible. I started. I had a good first week, and then I've been awful since then. I went one and three of my NFL picks, though. I'm terrible at gambling. <laughs> Who is good at gambling? Who I, to, is it? To Tyler Shoemaker, apparently. Yeah, but Tyler Shoemaker. Or maybe, was or wrong not this that week we too. know. We haven't asked him to turn over any receipts. He could be just completely horrible at this, for all we know. I and I am not calling out Tyler Shoemaker. I'm just saying, man, it is a, it is hard because I think the, the smart analysis and as T. Shoe brought it on Friday was like. This Ohio State line is probably low, and he was hoping people would bet it down. Ohio State only wins by seven. 
and that he thought Wisconsin was like an excellent team in that Northwestern Wisconsin line, which was a touchdown was probably low and Northwestern wins. And it's like, I don't know, man, but I think of all the seasons, it's just so hard. The non-conference really does help you get a grasp on things a little bit because you get a lot enough crossover between the conferences that it's like, okay, well this team beat that team. So now when that team goes back in its conference and starts winning or losing, it gives you a little context, right? That if Ohio state Mm -hmm. beat Oregon, if Ohio state had beaten Oregon and now Indiana almost beat Ohio state, let's say Ohio state had beaten Oregon by 21. Now, if Indiana only loses to Ohio state by seven, you're like, dang, Indiana is legit, but we don't know, you know, or if somehow Oregon had beaten Ohio state, then people be like, all right, well, Ohio, you know, it's just, it's hard. That's a bad example, but it's what we're talking about. We just don't have that context. And I think it makes the betting much, much more difficult. Oh, I, I think that is a good example because then it, it gives legitimacy to the Pac-12 then if, if Ohio State comes back and starts winning as you would expect it to. Like you get to then say like, I know that the Pac-12 isn't that great this year, but look, Oregon beat Ohio State, which is over here running through the Big Ten. Like I think that would have definitely helped uh, their esteem. So it, it is a, a jumbled year and uh, we're more than halfway through it now. So it'll be interesting to see how these last few weeks go. I will be, as far as I know, in Champaign on Saturday for this game. I don't know if Steven's going yet or not. I don't know. Uh, we haven't really, I think, gotten an update yet on, it's kind of a week by week thing as far as how things settle out. But uh, I may be doing the, the post-game pod from uh, as I drive back across I-74 or something uh, after the game. But uh, that will be the last pod of the week. And then we'll be back from Monday Madness the following Monday. So thanks for joining us. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.